0: And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is uh, perfect, it is true, it is infallible, inerrant. Lord, it is trustworthy. And uh, Lord, in especially in our cultural moment, we need the truth of your word to guide us, uh, especially surrounding the topic of marriage. And uh, Lord, we are gathered here in worship, uh, here sitting under your word, because we trust you. We believe that you are good, that you know us, you created us, you know what is best for us. And Lord, we do not know what is best for ourselves. And so, uh, Lord, we pray that in every area of our lives, uh, you would uh, shape us by the truth of your holy word, and so we thank you for the words of Jesus in this passage, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would now apply these words into our lives, into our, our marriages, our families, our hearts, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, today we are looking at Jesus' teaching on marriage. There's quite a lot to say about this passage, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to be answering the question today. What do you need to know about marriage? And I'd like to highlight five answers to that question. What do you need to know about marriage? Five answers from this passage. And I know I usually give you my main points at the beginning today. I'm going to give them to you as as we go along, since there's five of them. So today, uh, what does Jesus say that we need to know about marriage? And uh, five answers from this passage. And the first answer is this. From the beginning it was one male and one female getting married. From the beginning, it was one male and one female getting married. Now, this passage that I just read begins with the Pharisees asking Jesus a question about uh, divorce. And we'll uh, come back to that later in the sermon. But when uh, Jesus answers the question about divorce, he does so by returning to God's original intent and design for marriage. You see that there in verse 6 where Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female." He says, if you want to understand marriage, you have to go back to the one who invented and created marriage. It was his idea, and why did he make it? What was his purpose? And let him tell you and instruct you what marriage is about. And uh, from the beginning, the pattern was one man and one woman getting married. And, you know, I've heard people say uh, things like, oh, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality or gay marriage. And, yes, he did. He's speaking about it in this passage. Jesus, the most loving person who ever lived, rejected any definition of marriage that was not the one created by God, the maker of marriage. But what's maybe even more important is that this verse is saying that most people should get married. From the beginning, that was the plan, as a male and female, and they were joined together. And that's something that needs to be said in our day. If you're a young person... You should say, my goal is to become a godly person and then find another godly person and marry them. And the reason we need to say that is because you know the marriage rate has dropped by 60% in our uh, country since 1970. And one study said it used to be a basic institution that everyone had to buy into in early adulthood. You got married, then you moved in together, and then you got a job. Marriage is now becoming the last step into adulthood, and it's an optional step. People are more likely to want to finish their education, find a job, and pay off debt before getting hitched. Why is that change happening? Well, a part of it has to be because we live in an individualistic, modern society. Modern society is all about the individual. And so my whole life is about me fulfilling my individual personal dreams and desires and passions. And it's about my personal happiness. We don't think of life in communal terms. And if you don't think in communal terms in your life, if you think, then you think, I don't get married because I have a duty to God to form a family and serve that family but I get married only if it satisfies my individual desires. I think this is a huge mistake because it's training us in selfishness. One of the best ways a person learns to not be selfish is by getting married and having children. There's nothing that will put your selfishness to death like those two things. And I was listening to a podcast recently, and there was an older gentleman saying that if you're a young man, your first mission in life is to find a godly wife. It's way more important than finding your job. You might think, "Oh, I better find a good job." No, a godly wife is first priority. Actually, I, you know, I tell you what, uh, how important my wife has been in my life. The wisdom, the encouragement, the help, the partnership. I've learned so much from my wife in experiencing the gospel with her, building a home and family together. And a ton of sanctification and spiritual growth happens in marriage. You know, I know, uh, you know Shannon and I got married when we were still in college. Before we got married, I got B's and C's. <laughs> After I got married, I almost got straight A's. Something happened, oh, so much happens by entering into a family. You grow up. Men need women. And women need men, too. This is the creational pattern. And there are intense forces in our culture working against this beautiful and good institution that God has put at the heart of the creation. Okay? So the pattern is to get married. That should be basically our priority. And now a couple caveats about that. It is a bit of a chicken and the egg because some other people would say, well, you know, if a man's going to marry a woman he should be able to provide for a family. You know, It should basically be a prerequisite to have sex with a woman is that you are able to provide for a woman and her child in case she gets pregnant. And you should be prepared to do that before you're uh, able to enter into that pleasure. Uh, there's truth in that too. So I think they both go together. Get married early, but also it's time to take responsibility when you get married. Another caveat, it's true that getting married is ultimately not in our control. And I know that you know some of you might be single and you say, "Well, I want to get married." I I believe this is a creation and design. The Lord hasn't brought someone to me yet. And a Proverbs 19:14 says, "A prudent wife is from the Lord." And this passage says in verse 9, "What God has joined together, let not man separate." This passage says that a marriage comes by God's providence. It is God who brings together a man and a woman. So that union is a gift from him. And so, and ultimately you can't have it until God grants it to you. It's a time of waiting. And some of you might say, I'm in a time of waiting. And so you might say, well, if it's up to God to give me a marriage, what what can I do about it? Well, uh, one author has a quote where he says, your responsibility is to be the kind of person the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry. So you picture in your mind the kind of person that you want to marry and say, well, who do they want to marry? That's, who you, that's your job right now is to become that kind of person. If you're a young man, it means take responsibility for the things in your life. Become a member of a church. Be involved in the church. Serve. Use your gifts. Become excellent at doing your work. Be vigilant to cut out every ounce of pornography out of your life. If you're watching porn even a little bit, come confess it to your pastors, confess it to your home group leader, confess it to a friend, and be absolutely vigilant. I need to cut all this out of my life. I guarantee you, the woman you want to marry doesn't want to marry someone who's addicted to pornography or watching pornography. Be vigilant now, not later. I'll tell you, this is a community of grace. We're not surprised that there's sin in this church. You can come and talk to you. You're not going to be shamed about that. You're going to be helped and encouraged. That's what we need to do. And if you're a young woman, also be a member of the church, serve in the church, become theologically wise. Read the Bible. Establish biblical convictions about what it means to be a woman. And don't let being a woman be shaped by the world. Let it be shaped by the truth of God's word. When we believe that marriage is the norm, We begin preparing for it before it actually comes. Okay? So, what's the first thing you need to know about marriage? Is first that from the beginning, from the creation, it was one man and one woman got married. That is the norm for human life as God intends it. Okay? The second thing that we need to know about marriage is that a man needs to leave his father and mother. Marriage involves a man leaving his father and mother. I'd say a man and a woman leaving. Their, their family. And you see that there in verse 7 where it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And this is an extremely important principle that when you get married, you're leaving your biological family to start a new family. And many people there find there are a variety of ways in which when you get married, you need to disentangle yourself from the family that you grew up with. It could be you know, becoming financially independent and say, you know, I'm not tied to them financially. It could be you need to move away and say, you know what, we need to move somewhere else and just figure out who we are as a family without them there all the time, kind of informing us about our marriage and our family and what we should do. And so, you know, the problems could be a man who does whatever his parents tell him, it could be a wife who's more emotionally connected to her biological family than to her husband, you know, that whenever stress comes up or she needs advice, she's talking to her mom or her sister and she's not talking to her, who's supposed to be her best friend, is, is her partner in life, her spouse, her husband. And this is one of the things that you need to know about marriage. This is about leaving your father and mother. And if you don't, this will inhibit your new family from growing and blossoming into what God intends it to become, And there are all kinds of assumptions that we have from our childhood that we just take for granted. We say, well, I grew up with this. This is what we did. And you think that everyone did that. And not everyone did that. That's not how every family functioned. It's not written in the Bible, this thing that you just assume that everyone does. And uh, I mentioned last week uh, Randy uh, Williams, who was a marriage counselor in our church many years ago. And uh, one of the things that Randy Williams would say about getting married is it's kind of like playing a board game with someone where you don't know the rules, and so you're playing the board game, and the other person knows the rules, and so you move the piece, and you're like, I'm gonna move this here, they're like, you can't do that, that's against the rules, and you're like, no one told me the rules, and so you come the marriage, and there's all these things where your spouse is saying, you can't do that, that's wrong that you're doing that, and it's like, no one, you have a rule book that I was not introduced to before we got married, and so, you know, you sit down for dinner, and you put salt on your food, and you're like, you just salted that food that I made for you? How insulting. Did you not think I put enough salt in it when I cooked it? It's was like, my family salted the food when we came to the table. All of a sudden, it's a moral insult. It's because there's some rule book that you didn't know about. Where did that come from? We grew up with it. You have to know that together you are building a culture of a new family. You've left your father and mother and you're going to have to reevaluate things that you just assumed and hopefully you're doing that together asking what does the bible say not what does my family say about what our marriage should be like how do we fight how do we how much time do we spend with our friends now there may be things from your family that you want to bring into your new family maybe you had godly parents who it would be wise to emulate them. That's great, but the reason you're keeping those traditions is not because this is what my family always did. It's because this is what God's word says, and it honors God. It's shaped by the gospel, and it's wise, and it's good. That's why we're doing it, okay? So what do you need to know about marriage? Okay, two things. The first, from the beginning, it was one man and one woman got married. That was the norm. It's the norm for most humans, and we should expect that to be the norm. And that second, a man must leave his father and mother. He must disconnect from his biological family in order to start the culture of his new family, okay? Third thing we need to know about marriage is that a man must hold fast to his wife. A man must hold fast to his wife. And you see that language in verse 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now, that word hold fast is used in other places in the Old Testament. It describes God's covenant relationship with his people, Israel. And a covenant is a relationship that is built on promises. That's what a marriage is. A marriage is a relationship that started with vows. It started with promises that said, I will never leave you is the foundation of the whole marriage. And Israel was called to hold fast to the covenant with, their covenant with God, and a husband and wife are to hold fast to each other. And Jesus goes on to describe what this covenant bond is like. You see it there in verse 8. He says, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What does that mean? The two are becoming one flesh. Well, of course, this is a reference to the the sexual union that happens in marriage. The Bible says that sex should should only happen within the covenant of a marriage, of two people who have taken vows to one another that I will never leave you. And actually, this is the purpose of sex. It is a physical expression of the covenant. It's how a man and a woman throughout their life reenact and renew the wedding vows through the course of their ma- marriage saying over and over again I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. You know some of you have thought like you know we should renew our vows, you know that we made on that wedding day and we need to keep those going. That's exactly what sex is. It's about renewing the vows. But sex is not the only way a husband and wife say to one another I will never leave you. That message has to be at the very heart of the relationship. And and you'll find when you're married, that many of your fights, this is really the underlying question, is are you going to leave me? Are you going to reject me? Are you going to be there for me? And my hardest moments, when I really need to depend on you, are you going to be there? That's really what it's about. And um, I remember when I first learned this, I've shared this story with some of you, um, is when my wife Shannon and I were living in St. Louis. We were in a seminary together. And it was my last year of seminary. We were uh, getting ready to move from St. Louis to Bellingham to start a new church. And we had three young kids uh, that were under four, and Shannon was pregnant with twins. And I had—I was taking 17 credits in my final semester, and I was supposed to r- fundraise hundreds of thousands of dollars to start this new church. And I had exactly $25 in my fundraising account. I was clearly not successful at that there's a lot of risk and a lot of stress that's happening. So one day we're, we're in the kitchen and we're cleaning the kitchen together and Shannon's wiping down the counters and I'm in the corner of the kitchen which faces a wall doing the dishes. And I have these headphones in. I'm listening to a sermon while I'm doing the dishes. And, and Shannon says to me, well, you know, it'd be nice if you took the headphones out and we could talk while we're cleaning the, the, the kitchen. And I was like, well, you know, I'm learning to be a pastor. I've never preached before. I'm going to have to do this to start this church. i got to learn how to do it, so i got to listen to these sermons to learn how to do it. All of a sudden, we're at loggerheads. And it's like, this is an emotional conversation about whether I have headphones in while I'm doing the dishes. What is going on here? And it, it became so charged, I leave the room. And I go into the bathroom, and I start praying. i was like, Lord, what is going on here? And it was one of those moments. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, she doesn't care about the headphones. And what was happening is that what's really at stake in that moment is we're about to move across the country. She's got twins in her belly. We got no money. And we're going to start a church? Does that even work? Can you even do that? You know, start churches? Is, there, is anyone even going to come? And so she's asking this question, I'm willing to sacrifice and do all these things with you. But the one question is, are you going to sacrifice me in the process? And what's at stake with the headphones, me taking out the headphones says, I'm never going to leave you. We are doing this together. And that's what's really happening in, the, in so much of our relationships is figuring out how do I communicate to you, I'm never going to leave you. And for some of you who are married, you might need to say those exact words. I mean, there's ways that we do it verbally and non-verbally to communicate. I'm with you. We're together in this. But that's the main message. It's not just the wedding vow that we say on the day of the wedding. It's something that we're saying together. It's just like here at church. That's what God does with us. We come here, and he says to us week after week, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. And that's what transforms us. Okay? And so when we understand that, that marriage is, about, is built on this vow, this covenant of I will never leave you, then we understand the fourth thing that we see in this passage is, so what we've seen in the beginning, it was one man and one woman who get married. That's the norm. And the man has to leave his father and mother. He's starting a new family that's built on this promise, I will never leave you. And that's why the fourth thing is that Jesus is conservative about divorce, but does make exceptions. Jesus is conservative about dis- divorce, but makes exceptions. And you'll notice in verse 2 that it says the Pharisees came up And in order to test him, uh, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, in Jesus' day, there was a a rabbinic debate happening between two uh, uh, teachers, uh, Shammai and Hillel, who had different views on what were our grounds for getting divorced. And Shammai was the more conservative one. And he said, only in the case of infidelity can there be a divorce. And Hillel was the more liberal one. And he said, even if your wife burns the toast, you can divorce her for spoiling your dinner. And so basically any reason, you want to get divorced. And and Jesus in this passage clearly is closer to Shammai, taking a very conservative view of marriage. And modern people wonder, well, if two people aren't happy together or don't love each other anymore, they're fighting all the time, why not let them get divorced? Again, we are thinking very individualistically. They don't realize our whole society, any human society, is built on marriage. It's the very foundation. It's how children are raised. It's how we learn morals. It's how we learn to survive and we support each other. And a flimsy institution of marriage makes a flimsy society. But it's not just about the society. God cares about you and me as individuals as well. And while you and I might want comfortable lives with a little conflict, God wants to transform us through our marriages. And the conflict of a marriage is the main place where God works. Why is that? Why is it in the conflict that God mainly works there? Because in a conflict, it's where the things that you care most about are coming to the surface. I mean, you think about my argument with the headphones. What was it really about? My fears of failing as a pastor and her fears of raising five children by herself. I mean, those are some of the deepest matters of our hearts are really what's happening in a little argument about, am I going to have headphones in while I do the dishes? And we don't realize that that's what's happening there. And you fight and you fight and you fight until those heart issues come out. And when they do come out, what happens? All of a sudden, you feel compassion for each other. Because I don't want her to raise five kids alone. And she doesn't want me to fail as a pastor. That's what's at stake. These are also our idols and the false gods in our lives that marriage exposes. And if you can run away from a marriage because there's fighting and arguments happening, then the work that God intends to do in you will never happen. And that is why Jesus is so conservative about divorce. Now, some of you say, well, but are there no situations where someone can get out of a marriage? And uh, you might might not think that you could ever get divorced. Reading verses 10 and 11, you see what it says here. And in the house, uh, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so it's interesting. If you read this verse alone, you would think that Jesus is saying there is no situation in which a divorce should ever happen. And we should feel the force of that verse. But then if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew and you find the parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus says you should never get divorced except there is an exception in the case of infidelity. And you say, oh, so there's one exception. But then you go and you turn over to 1 Corinthians 7 and you say, well, there's only one exception of infidelity. But then in 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul says, well, if you're a Christian who's married to a non-Christian and your spouse says, listen, I don't want to be married to a Christian. It's either me or Jesus. You've got to choose one. You choose Jesus. Your ultimate loyalty is to Jesus and you're free to, to go. You're free to have a divorce. So you say, okay, here's now a third or a second, a second exception. But then you see, even in this passage, the Pharisees asked Jesus if it's lawful to get divorced. And you see in verse 3, it says, he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And, uh, and Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. And so Jesus says, yes, because humans are so wicked, people are going to get divorced. And so God has made a legal accommodation to that. Now, in our tradition, we're a Presbyterian Reformed uh, tradition, and the Westminster Confession is in the larger and shorter catechisms are our doctrinal standard as a church. And the Westminster Confession says that there are two grounds for divorce, sexual immorality and abandonment, and we will take abandonment also is that has some breadth to it, that if someone violates the marriage covenants so grievously with gross abuse or, or a life-threatening situation, then, then uh, that may be uh, permissible with the, the, the support and accountability of the church. But it's also important to know that just because a spouse sins does not mean we should jump out of a marriage. God got divorced in the Old Testament. It's an important thing to know about the God of the Bible is that he's been divorced. It says he wrote Israel a certificate of divorce for her adulterous love of idols and false gods. But it also seems that God remarried Israel. He has been faithful and and has stayed committed. He says we are the new Israel. That's who we are. And so this tells us that always our marriages are to be shaped by the gospel. We're so, everything about our lives is shaped by the grace of the gospel. And so that leads to our final point. And so what, do we, what, do, what does Jesus say that we need to know about marriage is that from the beginning, it was one man and one woman getting married. That was the norm. And the man leaves his father and mother, his, his biological family, to start a new family. And he holds fast to his wife in a covenant relationship, learning to communicate over and over I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And that's why Jesus is conservative about divorce, even though he does make some exceptions. But the last thing we need to know about marriage is that marriage is ultimately about the gospel. Marriage is ultimately about the gospel. And you'll notice that quote from Genesis in verse 7, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become uh, one flesh. It's from Genesis chapter 2. This verse is quoted in another place in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And and when the Apostle Paul quotes this passage from Genesis, he adds a little comment about it. And this is what he says. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He says, ultimately, Genesis 2 is about more than marriage. It's about the gospel. When a man leaves his father and mother to hold fast to his wife, it's a small picture of Jesus leaving his father in heaven to come seek a bride for himself, a church who he rescues and he sacrifices himself for to bind himself to. Your marriage is not about you. It's about Jesus' love for his church. Your marriage has a purpose beyond itself. And everything changes when a couple has this mindset. A marriage is not about you getting, you know, me getting what I want or you getting what you want. It's about us together reflecting the gospel. And this is not something you can do in your own strength. For your marriage to reflect the gospel, you cannot do that by the power of your flesh, by your own wisdom. How do you learn to regularly communicate verbally and non-verbally, I will never leave you? It's only when you have personally heard over and over again from your Savior, I will never leave you. When you see God's faithfulness to forgive all your sins, you see that Jesus communes with you week after week, He answers your prayers, He listens to you. And you see His steadfast love. We sang that song called Steadfast Love. His love endures forever. When that promise lives in your heart, it begins to come out of you. And so marriage is ultimately about the gospel. And the gospel is the fuel that makes marriage thrive. So what do we need to know about marriage? That from the beginning God made male and female as the norm for human life that the world would be filled with little pictures of the gospel. Just as Jesus left his father in heaven to seek a bride, the church, so a man leaves his family to start a new family with his wife. And at the heart of their relationship is their assurance to one another, I will never leave you. You can depend on me. And that is why we don't run away from hard marriages through divorce. In the conflict, God is making us like Christ, so that through our marriages, we can come to know the love of Jesus in deeper and more profound ways than we ever did before. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we know that we need your truth in our lives. And Lord, I just think of all those sitting here and how marriage has impacted each one of our lives uh, for good, for ill. Um, We grew up with parents that were maybe married or not married maybe divorced. Ourselves, uh, we've had relationships or been in marriages um, that have been strong or been weak. And Lord, uh, we thank you that to all these situations, you know that we need your truth. And Lord, we receive your truth. Uh, We rest in it, we believe in in it, we study it because we know that you are good. And ultimately, because we believe the promise that you have said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's our most treasured promise, oh God, and may it live deeply in our hearts and may our marriages reflect that truth. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.